We are glad you're here. We're glad you made it, and we're excited. So uh, my name is Gio Garces. If you're visiting with us, we've been do, uh, studying the Bible in the book of Luke, and I've been preaching sermons from the book of Luke. It's an inspiring book. But before we begin, I do want to acknowledge, is, there, is Dave Chen here today, Dave Chen? I do want to, I want to lift you up, bro, not only for being a veteran, uh, Veterans Day, but also a veteran who continues to um, do physical training. Most veterans stop after the military of uh, doing physical training, as you can see up here. But uh, uh, David ran a marathon yesterday and completed it. Uh, I wanted to to congratulate you. You know, a veteran who keeps running and no one's forcing you to. It's very inspiring. No one's forcing you. In the military, you're forced to run, whether you like it or not. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 4. We're going to continue our study. And uh, uh, the text this morning is, um, is Jesus... After his temptation in the first part of the chapter, the second part is that he goes back home. And we're going to pick it up there. And it's an important part of, of understanding his ministry. He goes out in the desert to be tempted. He goes out to really uh, uh, fight off Satan. And we learned how to do that last week by Jesus quoted the Deuteronomy passages. He fought off temptation with the Bible. A lot of times we fight off temptation like this. Ugh. Right? And it doesn't work, and we fall, and we're frustrated, and we get mad at ourselves, and we get discouraged. But Jesus gave us a great example of how to fight temptation. He used the words of God. And he went back to the Old Testament, and he cited all the places where the Israelites failed. He did not. And that's an encouraging part about following Jesus. Um, look in uh, verse 14. We'll read together of Luke chapter 4. I do, uh, I'm also looking forward to, to hearing from Jerry and Erlene Sugarman, who are here. Yeah. The, they are the North Region Elders, yeah. and uh, they have uh, uh, one son who's now married, and they have a, grand, a grandson as well. And, uh, you know, they're elders because of their characteristics, of their qualities, of their, of their character, matches the Bible. Uh, they have a faithful son who's a disciple, married to a disciple, yeah. and hopefully uh, their third generation or fourth generation. Jerry's father is a disciple. So uh, it's been a long lineage there. He has a Jewish background, so this may even help him in our Bible study. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, he is a, is a man of God. And uh, if you stay afterwards for the Devo, I think you'll get a lot out of just from parenting and also from a shepherding point of view, how to shepherd people, how to help people. So it's not just for parents, it's also for singles and campus and really how to help each other spiritually. Let's take a look for uh, Luke 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee... In the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. You know, the area of Galilee is north of Jerusalem. It's the northern part. That's kind of where he grew up. In the southern part, he was born in Bethlehem, but the northern part is where he kind of spent most of his adult life. And news about him spread, and it was good news. And the whole countryside was hearing about Jesus. In other Gospels, he's actually started to do, to do miracles. And people are hearing about it. And people are excited about it. And people can't wait. So, you know, you, it's like you become this Christian, this disciple, this follower of God, and then you go back to your hometown. Number one, that takes a lot of courage to go back to your hometown. Go back to your house and say, <clears throat> Mom, Dad, I've made some changes. I'm a Christian. What? Right? That was the Garces household. Uh, 18 years ago. I made some changes, Mom and Dad. I'm, I'm now a Christian. But you're a Catholic. I was. 
Now I'm a Christian. What have you done to us? I didn't do anything. I became a Christian. You've ruined our family. I'm trying not to ruin our family. I'm trying to encourage our family. Some of you have had that conversation when you became a Christian. Like, what have you done? What are you doing? And it's the hometown welcome. You know, you, you go off and you get, you know, you, you, you struggle, you, you find God and you come back and it's, it's almost like you get rejected for turning your life. Everything your parents wanted you to be, they now go and are mad at you. You know, I, I became the obedient son and my mom is angry. I became the respectful son. My mom is still angry. You know, things that we make changes in the hometown, it, it, it reverberates who we are because they remember us and they want us to be the same. You know, um, he goes back, but as he goes back, there's a lot of praise. You know, the quality of your character is tested by how, by how you respond to men's praises. Does it make you arrogant? Does it make you prideful? Or does it humble you in a good way? In verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The prophet Isaiah, or the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found where it is written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What impresses me the most about this passage is that the, these old Hebrew scrolls are there just scrolled up. And he unrolls. It's not like he's going, turn over to chapter 4, verse 1. It's not like it's so easy for us. There's this scroll. And it's, it's just Hebrew words written. There's no chapter There's no verse. It's just a scroll. And Jesus opens it up. And he he knows where he wants to go. He knows the Bible. In fact, he wrote it, but he knows it. There it is. Impressive. And it's a good thing to know. How well do you know your Bible? How well do you know your Bible? Have you ever read the book of Hezekiah? There is no book of Hezekiah, right? There is not. It doesn't exist, right? How well do you know your Bible? How often do you read your Bible? And why does Jesus read this passage? Why this one out of the book of Isaiah? Why this? What's so important about this passage? Well, this passage also has another element to it that refers to Leviticus chapter 25, which was the year of the Lord's favor, which was the Jubilee year of doing something fantastic. In, in the Jubilee years, in the Old Testament, God's people, every seventh year, was to be a sabbatical year so the land could rest. You couldn't grow anything. The land had to rest. But also every 50th, every seventh time that happens, every 50th year, there was this thing called the year of Jubilee. And the main purpose of the year of Jubilee was to tell and remind God's people, one, number one, your servants. You're my servants. You're God's servants. Number two, what it did was it rebalanced the economic system. Slaves 
Meaning if you were if you were, if you worked for a Hebrew family and you and you were their worker and you and you were their slave, you were set free and returned back to your family. If you had property and you were the original owner and you had, you sold it, it was sold again, it was sold, it comes back to you. All your debts were canceled. All your credit card debts canceled. And the people rejoiced in this. But one thing that Jesus doesn't touch on in this, in this Isaiah chapter that he reads, he doesn't touch on um, any kind of hostility toward other nations. Like he avoids, the, the in, that, in that Isaiah 61, there's a verse in there that says, A day of the Lord's vengeance. Aliens will shepherd your flock. Foreigners will work your fields. You know, he doesn't preach that from that text. He just says, I'm going to free the oppressed. I'm going to, it's the year of the Lord's favor. You know, I'm, we're, going to, we're, going to set, we're going to help the poor. He avoids that because, you know, the Roman government at that time was the overlords of the Jews. And the, what the Jews wanted, they wanted so much to overthrow the Roman government and have what they used to have before. They wanted a king. They wanted to rule the nations. But the problem with that part of history was they were mostly unfaithful to God during that time. Yet they wanted to go back to that time. Right. Even when they left Egypt, they kept complaining to Moses, why did you make us leave Egypt? You know, many times we can think to ourselves when we struggle spiritually with our faith that it was better that we, it was, life was better before we became Christians. Mm. I had it easier. My relationships were better. My heart was better. And we forget what God has done. We forget. And what's startling about this passage, how he reads it, Jesus is referring to everyone. And the, the, the audience, they just wanted to hear it for themselves. The Jewish people wanted it. That's for us. That's not for them outside. What are you doing? It's almost like, it's, why are you avoiding that passage? Why are, you not, why, are you not, why are you not discussing that passage? Because Jesus is sending a message. The message is number one, the year of the Lord's favor is that God's grace is for everyone. I mean, just take a moment to consider how much God loves you. Just think about that concept. Number two, it was to really help the poor and needy as well. Jesus is stating that God's grace and the year of the Lord's favor is not just for Israel, but it's for the Gentiles. Amen. You know, we're included in that Gentile population. Yeah. That's us. And Jesus goes to his hometown and he's got to break the news to them. That is not just for us, guys. It's for everyone. And so the reaction that he gets is mixed. They, they're astonished, but they struggle. Because what he's saying is that we got to help the poor. We got to help the needy. How can you, as a, as a Christian, help the poor and needy? Well, next week, we have a chance to do something cool. We get a chance to donate some money to an organization that actually helps the poor. People that, that we invest in is hope worldwide. We, we know these, these are our brothers and sisters. Amen. These are medical people who volunteer a year to go out into the, into the third world countries and administer medicine and help people. Yeah. This is what we do. We administer to them. We help them. Because we as a church 
We want to support that work. Well, why should we do this? Because James, James 1 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress. People are hurting outside of the United States of America. Badly. And Hope Worldwide tries to relieve some of that for some. We're doing our very best. If you go to HopeWorldwide.org, you'll see what they're doing. And they're asking for $52 per disciple as a donation to help fund the projects. Amen. You know, if I'm not physically going to go out and do something in that, I'd rather just donate to that. That's fine too. But a part of us also should look to have local outreach. What can we do locally within our little house church, our little group? What can impact can we have? Even people in the church who are struggling financially, how can we help? How can we look after people? That is awesome. You know, we have a, the, the RAIN project. Every year we do, we, there's homeless families that come into, into the facility in the RAIN project in Camarillo, and we donate toys for their kids. Every year we do that. That's encouraging. This year, I hope we do it again. That would be awesome. But we also have families even in our church who are struggling financially. I'm sure they can use some encouragement as well. Another way of helping is to study the Bible with people. Help them free them spiritually from their own prison. That they're being held captive. You know, donating your time. Donating your energy. Spending time with each other. Encouraging each other. It's the year of the Lord's favor. It's for all. It's not just for the disciples here. God wants everyone to experience true joy. Now let's take a look at the crowd and what happened. So he, he finishes reading the scroll and, and, and it's amazing. And then he, he goes to sit down and in verse 20 he says, He rolls up the scroll, give it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And they began to say to themselves, and I'm sorry, and he, and he began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Whoa. What a statement. The people are totally taken back. They're like, whoa. What did he just say? Did I just, did I? And they're all staring at him like, and he, then he said it. By reading this text, Jesus is making a very radical Shift. Claiming that the Gentiles are going to be part of God's plan, which was from the very beginning. He's also saying that I'm the Messiah. It's been fulfilled. And they're like, and this is his hometown. They saw him when he was a little niñito, right? They saw him all the way. And they're saying, You're what? You're who? Uh-huh. Remember, when you make changes and you go back to your hometown, they don't know what's happened to you. And you go back and explain this transformation you've gone through. As I and some of you have experienced, it's, it's almost unbelievable. They're aghast. They're going, what are you saying? And the aroma of that day was, they were waiting for messianic prophecy to be fulfilled. As we looked earlier in the sermons before, there was also false messiahs who came. And they were fastened on him. He spoke to their desire about a messiah. But what is this stuff about grace for all people? What is that about? 
in verse 22. Let's pick it up there. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. You know, they were so astonished. They were so blown away. They were so amazed. Yet they were so faithless. You ever go to a church where you're going, I was so inspired, it was so encouraging, it was so amazing, and you go home and you're still faithless. They were inspired, they were encouraged, but they were faithless. They rejected Jesus. He got a hometown welcome of rejection. They rejected his message. They rejected him. They tried to humanize him. Isn't this Joseph's son? We've seen him grow up. You know, one of the amazing things about Jesus when he says when he's being uh, crucified or about to be crucified, has anyone ever, can anyone ever accuse me of sin? If you live around your hometown long enough, oh, yeah. there's a lot of accusation and a lot of truth to what they're saying about you. If my neighbor said to me, yes, Gio, I know that when you were, you know, 14 years old, you burnt down my fence. I would say that would be true. That would be true. Gio, I know when you were in eighth grade, you hit a rock with a tennis racket at cars and hit an old lady's car and she crashed her car into the curb. I would say that's true. There are a lot of things that my neighborhood would say about me that are absolutely true. But no one could ever accuse Jesus of sinning. And they're going, aren't you Joseph's son? Because if what he's saying is true, means they have to change. And what if I'm saying is true, means you have to change. That's what it means. And what people resist the most is change. We fight it. We, we, we minimize it. It can't be that. There's got to be another way around me changing my life. You know, if you really want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to come face to face with one concept. And that is changing your heart. Changing your mind. You have to be persuadable. We know your dad. This is not possible. So the reaction was very mixed. They were excited, but yet they didn't want to believe. Astonished, yet unbelief. And this was historically the problem of God's people. They believe in God, but they didn't trust Him. It's the same problem even in our fellowship. We believe in God, but we don't trust Him. Amen. We come to church, but we don't really trust. Because trust is always put to the test. Yeah, that's true. It always tests you. Do you trust God? It's a great concept to say, to spell, to read, to preach, but to live. To trust God is to, is to say, I believe you. Yeah. You know, in your relationship without trust, you really can't have much of a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband or wife. Yeah. It's, a very, it's a very strained relationship if you can't trust your, you know, your wife or your husband, right? It's very odd, yeah. very difficult, very stressful. Yeah. Even in your friendships, trusting, trusting each other. Jesus did very few miracles. You know, we, we stop trusting God and we stop believing God 
Yet for some reason, we expect God to bless us abundantly. Isn't that funny? We, we don't trust. We don't go to the word. We don't hold to it, but God, but it bless me, man. It just kind of shows us where we're at. Yeah. We want the blessings without any kind of trust. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal thyself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you've done in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I mean, Jesus clearly understood that they were rejecting him. He understood that. And the audience doesn't want to be on the same playing field as the Gentiles. It was the message. You know, it's easy to come back and be tempted to try to sugarcoat the message. To go back to your family and say, you know, and really, and really downplay what you've done. Or to go to your friends that we're trying to reach out to. Or send the Bible with someone. To lower what the Bible expects of us. It's a great temptation. Yeah. But we cannot do that. We cannot lower the standard of what God has set before His people. That's why we have to trust that what God says is true. We have to accept that it's truth. Because if we don't, we begin to un- not believe God. Amen. We hurt ourselves. The Jews thought they were the chosen people. And they wanted to go back to ruling nations once again. That's why they were so perplexed why, why God would pick Jesus to be the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to take over the Roman Empire and bring us back to glory. They had a superiority complex. You ever meet someone that has that? Let me give you a few descriptions of that. You might be one of them. They think they have it all together. They're religious instead of spiritual. They're defensive instead of open to feedback. They're self-righteous instead of humble. They avoid working on their problems instead of dealing with them. They believe they're perfect instead of admitting their faults. And the humble response is like, let's hear more of this. Let's hear more. You know, when, when Paul went to Athens and he spoke about Jesus, the, you know, the philosophers were kind of humble, like, hey, let's, let's talk more about this strange concept. They wanted to hear more, and people were made disciples. But despite their rejection of Jesus, Jesus continues. He doesn't back off Isaiah 61. He doesn't back off, oh, you rejected? Let me lower the standard. Let me make it easier for you. He doesn't. You know, out of all the miracles, the dead being raised, the blind being healed, being three years of seeing this amazing man miraculously heal people, you'd think he would have thousands and thousands of followers. When he died, he had 120. Just shy of the size of the shoreline. They saw miracles. People rise from the dead. But just because you see miracles doesn't eliminate your, your responsibility to trust and believe. Yeah, amen. You come to church, you get fired up, great. But now you have to live it. Yeah. You get encouraged by it, live it. In verse 25, he, he says this. He's trying, to, he's trying to explain to them that God has been reaching out to the Gentiles all, all throughout history. And he says this, I assure you, 
that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was, uh, was not sent to any of them, any of the, any of the Jews, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Stop there for a second. So there's a famine in Israel. Elijah is God's prophet. And the Israelites are unbelieving in God. They're rejecting the prophets. The king is corrupt. All is lost. And God sends Elijah to a widow. And this widow was seen gathering some, some last bits of food to cook her last meal with her and her son, and then they were going to plan to die. And with what she had left, Elijah says, Hey, can you bake me a piece of bread? She's like, I was planning to eat this with my son and then die, because the famine's here. But she trusted Elijah with the last piece of her bread. And Elijah says, If you bake me bread... Your flour will not go empty, your jar will not be empty, and your oil will not, will not run out until the famine is over. It's your last piece of food. This man comes to you. He's not from your tribe or your people. And he says, with what you have left, give it to me. And I assure you, you have plenty of food. What would you have done? You're weird. I'm not, that's not practical. Family first. God, me, and family. Isn't that in the scripture? Me, God, my family, my kids. We got many ways of rebutting that. He goes, trust me. And she trusts him. And obeys. And does it. She's not even an Israelite. She's not even an Israelite. And she survives the famine, just like Elijah said it would. And he, Jesus points to that example of going, you are so full of unbelief. Here are the Gentiles who believe. And then he says another example in verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. He came after Elijah, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And as you know the story there, Naaman has leprosy. Here's about by one of his servants to go see Elisha. He goes see Elisha. Elisha says, go dip yourself in the Jordan. He has a hard time going, why the Jordan is so dirty? Thought you're going to do a little razzle-dazzle on my arm and fix me? He goes, no, get over there. And he goes over and dips himself seven times in the Jordan. And his leprosy is gone. Here's a Gentile who trusted Elisha, who obeyed Elisha. And God blessed him. You see, we want blessings without trusting. And then we get frustrated why God is not working in our lives. Because you don't trust Him. We have to trust God. We expect so much from God, yet we don't want to trust. What I mean by that is, trust the word. Amen. Yeah. When he says it, he means what he said. 
He means what he says. If you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself. He really means that. You have to love people. You got to sacrifice yourself for people. That's what it means. That's That's what it says. They both trusted and obeyed. And Jesus is just pointing out how faithful the Gentiles were and how unfaithful God's people were even back then. And the Jews had a hard time accepting the Gentiles. Even all these years later, even though that's in their Torah, that's in their Bible. It's being rejected. It can't be true. When he's saying, no, it is true. Look at verse 28 with me. All the people in the synagogue were so excited about the Gentiles being a part of the plan. So thrilled. It's encouraging. They were furious. You ever see furious? Okay. You ever see, ever see someone in your family get really furious? Wives, ever see your husbands get furious? Yes, I'm probably sure you've seen that. Husbands, ever seen your wife get furious? Oh, yeah. They were furious when they heard this. They were angry. They got up. They drove Jesus out of town. And they took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. It's one thing to be upset at Jesus. It's another thing to try to throw him off a cliff. Here's what I love about this passage. Verse 30 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's this crowd, they're furious, they're angry. They're going to throw him off this cliff. I mean, I mean there's, there's, there's got to be like a good 20 to 30 people trying to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I think about that going, how did that happen? Was he glowing? <laughs> Was he walking with conviction? They were like, well, he's, he's he, he, uh, you know, he meant what he said, guys. We've got to back off. But you get this impression that he walks right through the crowd. Jesus was not intimidated. He was not scared of the crowd. You know what we can learn from this text? Is that people's expectation of Jesus, of the Messiah, was wrong. Your expectation of Jesus may be wrong this morning. What you think you know about Jesus, you could be wrong. For example, what does it mean to follow Jesus according to what Jesus says? People want to follow Jesus according to what a preacher says. I tell you, look into the Word of God yourself and see what He says. Because believe it or not, preachers could be wrong. We can be sincere, but also be misguided. To find out the answers to those questions, you'll need to study the Bible yourself. What does the Bible really say? Well, you're going to have to read it. And I want to encourage you to set up time just by yourself to read the Bible. Just read the book of the Bible. Pick one and read it. One of the Gospels. 
I also want to encourage you, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Yeah. To be involved in our Bible discussions and, and study the Bible with one of us, personally. Study with us. Get to know us. We want to invite you to be a part of our family. We want to give you a hometown welcome that's loving, that's encouraging, but also to reveal to you what God's plan really is about your soul. I want to hope and pray that all of us will go to the words of God to fight back our emotions, but go to the word to lead us to everlasting life. Thank you so much, and to God be the glory. Amen.